You're listening to the Creekside Church Message Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon by Pastor Dustin Warford titled Religion Versus Relationship, which is part two of our James series. For more info, please visit creekside.org. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. Awesome. Well, as Aaron said, uh, we just got back from camp yesterday, and it was awesome. Such a great week with all these guys over here. And um, so I'm glad to be here with you, and I'm going to ask for forgiveness right away, because if uh, I, my voice is kind of on the fritz right now, because I've been screaming at them all week, and uh, before them. So we left on Saturday last week. We, from Saturday to Tuesday was the elementary school kids. And then the buses came to Creekside and picked up all these hooligans and brought them to camp. And they got off the bus, and the little kids got on the bus and went to the boardwalk. And then I got to stay the rest of the week with, with these guys. So Saturday to Saturday, and it was an absolutely incredible experience at camp. Would you guys say so? Yeah. yeah awesome. Um, I'm excited for what God's doing in their hearts. I'm going to talk a little about some things that happened at camp today uh, as we go through some more of the book of James. But um, before I dive into all that, I do want to say to everyone here, everyone who uh, gives to Creekside, who, give to the, who gave to the crab feed, who gave to the auction, who supported scholarships or finances to get these guys to camp, thank you so much. It was such a huge blessing. And there were, there were students that worked at the crab feed and worked at the auction. I think camp cost them a grand total of like 20 bucks or something because of what they were able to earn or sometimes they covered the whole thing. So thank you so much. It's a, it's a life-changing experience. And I know for a fact I saw lives changed at camp. Um, I can't wait to go back next year after I sleep for about seven months, but it'll be good. One thing I do know though, even though, you know, I know God talked to him and had some great, deep, meaningful conversations. God did not talk to them about cleanliness and hygiene. <laughs> no part of camp was about cleanliness and hygiene. As a matter of as a matter of fact, there were things chanted at camp that were uh, anti-cleanliness and hygiene. They muttered it just now. If you, <laughs> if you hear the teens mutter the words poop sock, that was my cabin, the poop sock. It made the camp video, and we had camp chanting poop sock, poop sock. There was no poop on any sock. The cabin may have smelled weird, but it was, it was something else. But, um, but if, you, if you want the whole story, I know they would, you have many enthusiastic people over here to tell you about the le- what became the legend of the poop sock at camp. But it was, it was an incredible week. I really honestly can't wait till next year, and I can't wait to see, even in this next season, what God's going to be doing in a lot of these students' lives. It was absolutely incredible. If you open your Bibles to the book of James, we're going to get started, and I'm going to open us up in prayer and as we get going. Father God, I thank you so much for today. I thank you for the chance that we have to come together to celebrate, to worship, to dive into your word, and, uh, and just be with one another this morning. God, I also thank you for each and every student that came to camp. 
Uh, every child that got there Saturday, every child that went home Tuesday and then came home, got there Tuesday, stayed to Saturday, everyone that was there, God, I thank you for the chance they had to dive into your word, to be just engulfed with your love. Uh, the things that they learned, I, I pray that they, they, bright, they bring that here, they take it out, they share it, God. You stir fire in their hearts that can't be contained. Um, I pray, God, that you just use them to make a huge difference, and I thank you so much that we had the opportunity to be together this week. We thank you, God. We love you. And everybody said... Amen. All right, James chapter 1. Now, we're going to do five weeks on, five more weeks on the book of James. I'm going to each week pick a theme from each chapter, and Pastor Terry actually gave me the, the privilege of doing a whole series on it. So I'm, I'm very, very excited as I'm reading through James to, to share with you guys what God is revealing to me and how we can apply it um, as a church, uh, corporately and personally, uh, what James talks about. So I know we gave an overview. I want to give uh, Rehash just a, a few things that I know he went over to get us all together again as we get going so we understand some context of where James is coming from. So James is a very small book in the Bible in the New Testament, only five chapters long, and the chapters are very, very short. If you wanted to, you could read right through the whole book in a very, very short amount of time. But a cool fact on the book of James is James is the half-brother of Jesus. Can you imagine being the brother of Jesus, having to grow up with that? Have you guys ever had someone say, why can't you be more like your brother? Well, well here we go, right? I mean, you've got, you've got Jesus perfect in everything, James not perfect in everything, and I doubt his parents you know, said, why can't you be more like Jesus? But at the same time, James probably had to go, well, there he goes again, there goes Jesus performing miracles, here we go. And another fun thing about James is he didn't actually come to know Jesus, like believe in who he is until after the resurrection. I would have loved to seen that moment on James' face. Jesus rises, he was like, oh my goodness, he was right. <laughs> All these years, <laughs> I've been telling him whatever, whatever, and then you watch him float up into heaven like, whoop, joke's on me. <laughs> but he became a strong Christ follower so much so that he has a book in Scripture that is very practical. The book of James is often thought of as the Proverbs of the New Testament because it's so straightforward and it's full of so much wisdom and things that we can apply and move forward in our lives with. And there's not a lot of gray area. James says, do this, do this, do this. And it's not, a lot of times it's, it's not, well, maybe he's possibly referring to this and maybe that. I mean, he's like, he just hits you sometimes with some really good stuff. So we get to read it and unpack it and talk about how to apply it in our lives today. But it's very practical, very applicable, and extremely challenging. I'm going to share with you guys today some things that God has really challenged me on as I read through this. Because um, it's just, it's so true and so deep and so real, but right here. And it's so easy to fly over it and not take it at what it is right in front of us. James wrote this book. It says he wrote it for the 12 tribes uh, that were scattered throughout the nations. Now, so what that means is that James wrote this book. They believe he wrote it pretty close after Jesus had been crucified and resurrected. It was one of the first books that was written out to people because people were being heavily persecuted. Jesus had just came, and he taught a life, a relationship, a love for God, and there were Jews that hated him. There were Pharisees that hated him. There were Romans that hated him, and Jesus was ultimately crucified on the cross. Even though Jesus had been resurrected, Jewish people were scared. If you were a Jewish Christian in this time, you were living in a land where there were Jews that hated you, there were Romans that hated you, there were other people that just hated the teachings of Jesus, and Christians were being persecuted. So they had scattered, and James was writing a letter to all these scattered people, which is one reason why he doesn't kind of beat around the bush. He says, hey guys, this is what we have to do. This is what you have to do, because it's a time where they didn't have time 
to think about other things, that we've got to get this word of Jesus out. We're under oppression right now. Let's go. Let's get this going. So James comes with urgency and very, very practical application to do. But it's challenging. So, having said that, we're going to dive into chapter 1. Now, chapter 1 has lots of things that you'll see, and actually there's many themes in chapter 1 that go through to other themes in Scripture. Uh, Through chapter 2, you'll see things into chapter 3, all through chapter 4. It's kind of an all-encompassing, lots of things are encompassing and pulled through. But there's one thing in particular that stood out that I really want to focus on today. And I'll start by asking this question. And feel free to shout things out. I've been hearing them shout all week. I used to it. When you hear the word religion, what do you think? Structure, rules, oppression, oppression, hypocrite, falseness, judgment. Okay. What was that? Man-made. All right. So I think we can all agree then that the word religion does not have the most positive reaction, right? I'm glad you guys are on the same page as me, because if I said, what do you think of religion? You said all the positive things. I've been like, well, we're done. I'm out. (laughs) It's not the most positive thing that comes with the word religion. There's actually a friend that I have on um, Facebook. We've never met face-to-face, but one of my favorite authors, this is his publicist, and for whatever reason, we've connected on Facebook, and he'll give me information like, hey, um, the, the author is coming to sign here. You should do this, and we just have this, you know, not super personal, but we have a relationship. And I'm thinking, wow, this author has millions of followers and books. And for some reason, this publicist and publisher, he, he talks to me. It's real cool. And so I got to share that I'm a pastor at a church, and he shared with me that he hates religion. I was like, okay, cool. Let's talk about it. And we got to talk about it. But his thing was, he goes, I hate religion because religion starts wars. And so we talked about it, and he said, so that's why he, he considers himself a pretty strong atheist. And we, um, we, we have this good talk going on. I actually, he lives up in Seattle. And at one point, I was talking to him about, hey, are you, are you touring with the author? Are you coming around? And he said, uh, not usually, but sometimes I would. And so I invited him to Creekside if he's ever in the Bay Area. And, uh, and we'll see. You know, I can only hope one day that he'll come. But, but his, his comments about religion are often things, what's funny is, People that aren't in church think the same thing about religion as the people that are in church. A lot of the negative connotations come. What's interesting is James actually talks about religion. He says it in scripture here. Religion is often looked at as rules, right? We've said that rules. Do this or else. You have to, you have to, you have to. You must, you must, you must. That's kind of the the encompassing banner of a religion says you have to. It's often looked at as negative, but James uses it in a positive way in Scripture here. James talks about actions quite a bit in relation to religion, and next week we're going to unpack more action stuff. But today I really want to dive into why James uses the word religion and how we have a religion, but more ultimately we have a relationship with Jesus. And we'll talk about how James unpacks that for us here. So if you turn your Bibles to James chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 27. First, so James 1.27 says this, Pure and undefiled religion before our God and Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. So there we have it right, up, right there. Pure and undefiled religion. James uses the word religion, and I'm sure when we read that, we think of all the, oh man, religion. But there's something we need to learn about the way James uses the word religion. Now, I'm going to say this word like I know how to pronounce it, so here we go. The translated word for religion 
in the Bible is threskia. And it means not so much religion, it means an all-encompassing worship. So when you put threskia in there, James is saying pure and undefiled worship before our God and Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. So it's, it's so much, it's a much better word than we think of religion, isn't it? When we think of worship, we can think of this is how we live our lives. These are the things we do. These are the things we say. These are the, the actions I take. This is where I, I come to church and I engage corporately in worship. And it's a much better word to think of than religion because worship involves a deep relationship with God. It's not just a program set of rules. It's much deeper than that. It goes deeper than we think of when we think of the word religion. So I want you to think about this question. Don't shout these answers out, you guys. Don't shout anything. How would you describe a true relationship with God? Just think about that for a sec. If you're thinking to yourself, how would I describe my true relationship with God? Some of you may be thinking, all right, relationship with God. Maybe you're starting to think of a relationship you have with a person. You know, do I do the relationship I have with this person? Does that kind of translate into my relationship with God? Do we act the same way? Do we talk the same way? I'm sure we can all think of many relationships. Raise your hand if you've ever been in any relationship your entire life. Not just romantically, I mean any relationship. If anyone here has a friend, you've had a relationship. Like I said, not a romantic one, just a relationship. That relationships, you have two hands up, thank you for that. We've all had good relationships. I'm sure we've all had bad relationships. We've had relationships we wish we didn't ever have. We've had easy ones, hard ones, one-sided. But let's, let's look at different kinds of relationships that we may have had in our life. Maybe you've had a relationship with someone in your life that looks like the following. A spare tire. How often do you use a spare tire? Do any of you even know if your car has a spare tire on it? Exactly, right? Spare tires, the thing that you never even look at. It's out of sight, out of mind. If you have one, it's, it's there, but you never need it unless it's an emergency. Then it is the most life-saving thing of your day, you having that spare tire. Now, our, uh, Stephanie was at work one day, and um, mint, proud minivan dad right here, boom. She has the van for the day, and she calls me, and she says, Dustin, we have a flat tire. And I'm somewhere else. She's down in Lafayette. And I'm like, okay, I can't exactly leave at the moment. Do we have a spare tire on that car? And she goes, I think we do. Where is it? And I have no idea where the spare tire is. So I'm thinking about the spare tire. And I, had, I really had to think. It's like, all right, let's call the almighty AAA <laughs> and ask them about the goodness of the spare tire. And AAA came out, and they knew right where it was. The center console moved back. There was like a little crank that lowered the tire from underneath the car, and all the cobwebs of the holy spare tire came down and saved my wife that afternoon. And then we took the car tire to get fixed, and we got the the new tire on there, and they put the new spare tire away. So I couldn't even see how they put the thing away, but I know it's there. It's back. But how many relationships do we have that are like the spare tire? It'll save you, but you never give it a second thought when you're not aware that you need it in the first place. Do you have a relationship that's like a wheelbarrow? Anybody here like using wheelbarrows? You sickos? Only a few of you. It's good. A wheelbarrow, right? You you load the thing up, and you've got weight, hopefully distributed evenly in this thing, and you hit the smallest little pea-sized rock... And everything you just did is over. 
It is now on the ground. It's over. So is your relationship something that can be easily wobbly and pushed? And when something goes wrong, it sets off all the emotions. I'm an emotional person. I get all the feels all the time. So is your relationship like that? Something happens and you just get set off. And then not only are you set off, but it's, have you ever seen someone, you're not using the wheelbarrow, but they spill it over and you're just kind of like, look how mad they are. That's crazy. Maybe you have a relationship in your life that's like a wheelbarrow, a heavy load. It's important. It has a purpose, but something goes wrong and it's like the world is over. Maybe you have a relationship that's like a bus. If you ride the bus, you know that you will know where you want to get to, and you have to get on this bus to get to here. And if that bus driver makes a wrong turn, you get off the bus. The bus is only useful when it's going where you need it to go. Or not even where you need it to go, where you want it to go. It's the only reason it's useful. Maybe you have relationships in your life, or maybe that someone has that relationship with you, where you feel like, I'm only needed in certain moments. When I'm not needed, I'm kind of, well, okay, well, I don't really need you anymore. Or there's someone that you have a relationship with that does the, you do the same thing to them. It's not about letting the driver go where he knows he needs to go. It's only about riding where you want to go. What's convenient for you and your time and your schedule to get you from point A to point B the way you want to get there? Or maybe you have a relationship that's like an airplane. You get on there, you sit down, you look at that pilot, and you say, my life's in your hands. The, the relationship where you really don't have control, you get to sit down and say, quite literally, you are in control of the next time period of my life. Whether I get there safely or not is riding on what you can do. If something messes up back here, because we live in a world where things mess up, the pilot still has the power to get you somewhere safely. Your trust is in their ability to get you there safe. 100% trust. Now, you may be able to think of someone in your lives that fits one of those categories. Or maybe you may be able to see where you fit into one of those categories. But I think that we need to make sure, and we'll talk about this more today, about how when we have a relationship with God, it's more than just a religion, but it's a relationship where he is the pilot of our airplane. He's the one that's saying, I'm going to get you here. Trust me. I've got this. Not only are you not going to be, be able to derail him, but he is the one that is controlling our path. And we, we have to learn to be able to do our part to let him guide and carry us. Now, whatever relationship we have, <clears throat> you can think about him. But I want to make sure we know, because I'm going to use the words um, changing around a bit today. I will say religion a few times, and I'll say relationship a few times. Because I want us to understand, even though we have the word religion as a bad thing, when James uses it, he talks about it as the worship element of our lives, making sure we do have that pure religion with Christ. So when you hear it, know that I'm using it in the context of having our worship, our relationship with, with Jesus. And there's some ways that we're going to practice, pull this out today. So you guys ready? No? Man. And I understand them not saying anything at this point. Like we were up to, lights out was midnight. We did not go to bed at midnight. It didn't happen. But so here we go. First thing I learned when I'm reading through James is that a good relationship, a pure and undefiled relationship, is going to be a practicing relationship. Now, when you go to the doctor or you know someone is in law school, what is, what is it called? What is that doctor going to do? They're going to, they're going to practice medicine, right? So they're going and they're going to practice medicine. Or you have a lawyer. A lawyer comes, says, all right, they, they go through law school. They are now going to open their own law practice, right? I remember the first time I heard that phrase, I was like, well, I've, okay, I've never needed a lawyer. <laughs> but I remember the first time I heard that phrase, I was thinking, if I ever wanted a lawyer, why would I want someone who's practicing? <laughs> right? 
The, the NBA doesn't put in an all-star player, oh yeah, he just started to practice today. Let's put him on the starting squad. It doesn't work that way, right? So why do they use this word? Because in the literal sense of this practicing word they're using, they're saying this is someone who is actually doing what they were trained to do. The doctor is practicing. He is actively practicing, engaged, actively working in his or her field. A lawyer doing the same thing. Their law practice, it's not just a practice, that is what they do. They do it every single day. And I think that when we look at it in that context, we need to understand that our walk with Jesus, our walk with God, needs to be a practicing walk with God. Meaning it's not just something that, that we read about, it's something that we actually get to partake in. Something, there's steps we get to take. There's things we get to do. And that's different than a relationship, because a, rela- or a religion, because a religion would say, you know, that you, you have to or else, you have to or else. But the relationship, the practicing relationship says, wow, I learned this. Now I get to do something. Now there's something I can apply that I can go and I can go and apply with, with this other person. Now think of someone who's ever told you this phrase, talk is cheap. Some of you, we've heard that, right? Whether we've heard it or we've said it, you know, we know the phrase talk is cheap. Can you imagine, like I said, the doctor or lawyer who read everything? You get the doctor who goes and they learn everything there is to know about medicine in their field and then they go and they say, all right, I learned it all. I'm not doing it. A lot of money down the drain for one to go to the law school or, or medical school or the lawyer that says, I'm, I'm learning everything about law, but then they decide I'm not going to practice it. Then what you've done is you just got a whole lot of good information, but you don't get the chance to go apply it. And, and you think of your, your closest friend. Maybe that's a spouse or a brother or a sister or, um, or a significant, like I said, spouse, significant other. I may repeat myself a few times. It's like six hours of sleep in eight days, but it's all good. You get the chance in your relationship with each other to practice having a relationship with each other. It's not just a one-sided, you say something, they say something, it's over. When you think of your closest relationships, you do things together, right? Even if it's not crazy going somewhere, you still get together, you go somewhere, you, you share life with each other. That is a practicing relationship. And I think it's important that we understand a healthy practicing relationship is one that we get to have with Jesus. We get to practice being with him. We get to put forth our best because I know that Jesus gives me his best and I get to give him my best. James actually tells us in this passage to put it into practice. So James chapter 1, 22 to 25 says this, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man looking at his own face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but one who does good works, this person will be blessed in what he does. Now, I hope none of us look in the mirror and walk away and totally forget what we look like. Then you need the doctor who's not just reading, but who's practicing. But what this is saying is that when we look at this, James is saying there are some things that go hand in hand with having a growing relationship with Jesus. And he kicks it off right there. He says, be doers of the word and not hearers only. You see, hearing is one thing, but when you put practice into action, that's a whole nother level. You see, when I get head knowledge, that's about me. But when I practice it, that makes it about him. Say that again. When I get head knowledge, that makes it all about me. But when I practice my head knowledge, that makes everything about him. 
It's not just about me, 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 feed me. It's about, God, how can I use this to bless you? How can I use this to bless your people? It makes everything off of me and puts it in a way that can glorify God. I think that when we move things from our head to our hearts, that's, we, see, we see elements in Scripture where it said that's what God really wants. He wants our hearts involved. He doesn't just want our head. God wants to use our hands. He wants to use our feet. He wants us to use our whole heart to serve him and serve his people. We see this in Scripture. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for from it will flow the springs of life. Proverbs 21.2 says, All deeds are right in the sight of the doer, but the Lord weighs the heart. Luke 6.45 says, The good person out of the good treasure of the heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil, for it is out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. All throughout Scripture, you can see verse after verse and story after story where God looks at people's hearts. God wants your heart. He doesn't just want your action here. He wants your heart to be behind it. And I think when we take a practicing relationship, we are showing God, I'm going to give you my heart. I'm doing this wholeheartedly, not for my glory, God, for your glory, and I'm going to practice what I learn. He wants your whole heart. Words and actions mean nothing if your heart is not right behind it. Another factor in a pure and undefiled religion or relationship with God is that it is a practical relationship. Now, I think there's things we are all capable of doing. I mean, all of you got here this morning, so there's one thing we're all capable of doing, moving. We can move from point A to point B. I'm sure we've all talked to somebody this morning, so we know we can talk. I'm sure you know, some of us maybe have did a handshake or a high five or a hug. Um, if you don't touch people, I'm sorry. That's not a good example. But we, we're all capable of doing things, right? So if we're all capable of doing things, James talks about things that we actually can do. Now, at the end of chapter one, he says this. Religion that is pure and faultless is this, to look after, excuse me, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. Now, there's a very specific reason James uses orphans, and widows. And we're going to look into this right now. <clears throat> At the time James was writing this book, there was no two groups of people more vulnerable than orphans and widows. To the literal sense, orphans and widows. Now, if, if you were going missing for a few days, say you went missing, think of all the people who would notice that you were gone. You can probably think, you know, this person would know I'm gone, this person would know I'm gone. Now imagine that you have no family, no one to notice that you're not there. Absolutely no one. Like, if I were to disappear, there would not be a single person who would notice I was gone. This was the world in this time that the orphans and widows lived in. People didn't notice the orphans and widows. The kids didn't have status in society, but they, they had even more status than women had in society back then. So it literally was a, a group of people that was the lowest of this, just the forgotten group of people were the orphans and the widows. And James is saying, if you want to have this relationship with Jesus that shows the love of Jesus, we've got to look after the most vulnerable people in our society, the most vulnerable people in our orbit. And so I'm not telling you now, like when you leave here today, I've got to go find an orphan. I've got to go find a widow. This is how I have to walk. No, no, no. What I'm saying is in your orbit, I'm sure you can probably think, who are the orphans and widows? in my life? Who are the people that I know, nobody's noticing these people, but I notice them. And when you notice them, you have the ability to go do something. You get to practice that relationship. You get to go out and show them the love of God. <clears throat> now, a question that I had for myself 
when I was reading through this was, if someone were to follow me around for this past month, how would I do when it came to this? <laughs> I don't think I did very well, honestly. I, I know that there's people that I pass that I can do something for that I end up not doing something for. And no real reason, it's just the fact that I didn't really do it. I didn't put it into practice. But I think when we go and we show someone we do something for someone who is in the lowest of lows, we directly showed them the love of Jesus. Whether or not you're even thinking of it that way or not, you just showed them something Jesus did for people. He went and he gave to the poor and he gave and he lived his life to show people this is how we love. And one of the greatest things we can do to show the love of Jesus is to show the love of Jesus to the people who may be forgotten. <clears throat> now, someone who... Uh, wrecks me in a good way all the time. I have a seven-year-old girl, Aurora, and uh, she just, it's, uh, I'm trying to get emotional because I'm tired and I'm emotional already, so. She wrecks me because she has the biggest heart in the world for the broken and forgotten people. It is one of the most inspiring things I see when I talk with her and just in my life, in my house. My, my wife and I were talking about this Aurora has the amazing ability. If she sees a group of people and there's one person who maybe pulls themselves to the side, she beelines to that person. And she's just a seven-year-old girl full of joy and someone who can be off to the side thinking, I don't really think I fit in right here. And, they're, and maybe they're, they're, they're kind of closed off. You look over there and she has them laughing and jumping up and down. It's just like, what? And she knows no age barrier. This could be a child, this could be a teenager, this could be an adult. She just goes because she has a heart just to make people smile and feel joy. And when I look at her doing that, it's fun to see. It's like, wow, that is, that is God working in my little girl's heart. That is God living out of my little girl. That's, that's a proud dad. That's my girl. And at the same time, it's convicting because I was like, I don't, think I, ta- I don't know if I taught her that, but I should because I'm the pastor in the house, right? But she does it and she loves to do it. We go to Mexico every year, and I think I've shared this about her before, but her favorite place to go in Mexico is the dump. And it literally is the dump, if you haven't heard us talk about it before. You go there, there's trucks up the hill dumping garbage down the hill, and there are people in the dump living in the dump. These are the forgotten people. They have no resources. The only supplies they have are other people's literal garbage. And Aurora looks forward to the dump every year. We go there and she passes out popsicles and she passes out apples and bottles of water and she finds little kids there and she wants to hug them. And when my wife was with us one year, she was like, oh gosh, oh gosh, because the kids are dirty. But at the same time, it's like, we got to let this happen. This, this kid is showing the love of Jesus to people that don't have anything. And every year we leave the dump, Aurora asks, who's going to bring them food tomorrow? Who's going to bring them water tomorrow? When we get home, who, she'll randomly throughout the year, she'll ask, has anyone been to the dump recently? She has a heart for the dump. It's amazing when I think of the heart that God has laid on her to show the love of Jesus to people. She, she beelines for it. That person has nothing. I'm going to give him a popsicle. And it's not just a popsicle. For us, it's a popsicle. For that kid at the dump, that's the coolest thing they've had in weeks. Literally coldest, coolest thing to cool them down in weeks. And Aurora loves doing it. It's, it is one of the most inspiring things that I've, I can think of is my daughter going and practicing out her love for Jesus. <clears throat> James 1.27 says, what it says about widows and orphans, man, Jesus has a hold of Aurora's heart 
And at the dump, there are literal widows and literal orphans. But even if it's not a widow or an orphan, even if it's a family there, she has a heart to serve that person, to show them the love of Jesus through a simple popsicle. We all have the ability to be practical with what we're doing. Something very practical. When we practice this, a part of our relationship, it ends up becoming a very personal relationship. Now, a religion that is pure and undefiled is very personal. Now, I love how James says this, and, and in your notes, I thought I pulled a little page up here, I highlighted, um, a, or started underlying a section of it, where there's a lot of pronouns used in this verse. If you look through it, it says anyone, he, himself, this person, oneself. James isn't talking about them or they. He's saying he, him, her, you. We get to make this, what James talks about, we get to make it a very personal application that we do. And it becomes our walk with Jesus. Now, something that I think comes with making a personal walk with Jesus. Now, everyone's here at church, and I, I love Sunday mornings. This is something, it's, uh, people think I'm crazy. But when Steph and I go on vacation, a lot of times I plan my vacation to leave after church on Sunday and then get back Saturday night because I, I love Sunday morning. It fills me up for the week. Usually, you know, I'm bouncing off the walls with the kids in there, and it's, it's the most fun thing, one of the most fun things I get to do. And I love that we all come here on a Sunday morning. We come and we sing, and we have an amazing time celebrating together. But I think when you really take your walk with Jesus to the next personal level, it's not just a Sunday thing. Sunday can get you fueled, but it's an everyday thing. We get to go out and we get to live every day, practice the things that we've learned. And it's going to look different for each and every one of you guys here. Um, I was talking with, with students at camp. I had some of the most amazing conversations at camp. And I mean that, some of the most amazing conversations where some students told me some of their struggles. And in the moment, I'm sitting there going, oh God, give me the words to say. Not because of what they're saying, but because in that moment, I didn't even know what I was going to say. It, it was literally a, God, I need you to help me talk this through. And that turned into two and a half, three hours of just sitting around and talking and having some deep conversations that ended on amazing notes and amazing prayers. And, and I, got to tell, I got to tell some students, hey guys, this is how God's working in my life. That doesn't mean that's how God's going to work in your life. This is my personal walk with God. This is how he challenges me to live my life out. He may challenge you to live your life out in a totally different way, but that doesn't make it any less significant. That's just your walk with God. That's what God is challenging you to do. That's how you make this your personal walk with God. I was, I was talking with one student who said, hey, in my line of work, I want to do this. And he said, I just don't really see how ministry fits into that. And so we got to talking about it. I said, all right, well, let me ask you, let me ask you this. Um, if you were to do this with your life, are you still going to love God? It's like, well, yes. I said, okay, that's, that's a good, that's good. Don't let that change. Um, are you going to be able to uh, let people see the values that you live out in your job? He goes, yes. I said, okay. Are you going to be able to let other people see that unchanging love you have for Jesus and share that with them? Yes. I said, well, then what do you mean you're not going to be in ministry? <laughs> that makes no sense. You are living ministry. That may be different from how God has me living my ministry and what he's called me to do. That's not any less significant than what he has, you, or any more significant than he wants for you to do. That's your ministry. That is your personal walk with God. Every one of us here has something very, very personal that we can do in our walk with God. It's going to look different, but that doesn't mean it's any less. It means it's yours. And God looks at you and says, I have this for you. I have this for you. I have this for you. It's not that that I gave for him. It's this for you. We get to make it personal. I saw some, some other students come and through conversations we had. I, I don't honestly think I've ever 
quite felt anything like we felt at camp this past week. Students making commitments to God that maybe didn't make commitments before. God was moving in hearts. He made things personal in our corporate meeting. But then came the, stu- the question I asked students. I said, all right, now that we're corporately here, and we had chapel two times a day, not counting the discussion times we had afterwards. Like, we were engulfed with the word and music and spending time with God. And then I got to tell them, okay, we're leaving camp. Now what? Now what? I don't want us to come home and think camp was something that was really cool that stayed here. No, camp is something that it may have happened here, but camp is us. Camp is what happened and what God did to us. We get to personally live out whatever God spoke to you in camp and make it your own. I saw new fire in hearts. I saw sparks of new relationships. I, I talked to a student who I never in my life would have heard him say this. But we were sharing things at camp. We're, you know, we're sitting in the chapel and it's just Creekside around. And I'm asking, I'm asking some of the students, I said, what is God telling you guys? What are some things you're learning? And students are coming up. Some of them were sharing Stories about poop socks and things, you know, that's what they did. But some students were sharing some amazing things, and one student blew me away. He stood up and said, I want to do this, but I think God wants me to be a pastor. And I thought, you're gunning for my job, sit down, don't ever say that again. <laughs> no, I'm kidding, but, but when he said that, I mean, talk about wanting to just explode with joy, because I, I never, that is a God thing, because I just, I didn't see it. And that's, not, that's not, not, not a bad thing. It's just that's his walk with God and what God is doing in his heart. And it is so exciting to see. And um, Pastor Christopher, who was the youth pastor here for, for many years, um, he was the speaker at youth camp. And he brought the word in an incredible way. And so I told the student, I said, hey, I want to set up a time for you, me, and Christopher to get together. Because I remember when I was at camp as an intern here at Creekside, and Christopher was a student in the youth group. And after one of our church sessions, one of our chapel sessions, Christopher asked me, he goes, hey, can I talk to you? I was like, yeah, sure. We sit down, and if you know Christopher's story at all, failing in school, bad language, came to church, honestly, because a cute girl asked him to come to church one day, and another cute girl asked him to come to camp, so we came to camp. No, not a Christian, not a Christ follower, anyone at all. Just a couple of days into camp, we're sitting there, and he goes, I want to be a pastor. And it was just like, I had the same reaction, I think, there than I did here, but it's cool because Christopher did it. He made his walk with God his own, and he is now one of the pastors of a church in Oakland, and it's incredible to see what God is doing in his heart. God works personally in your lives. It may not be the same for everyone, but I want to encourage you guys, when you find what God, how you're growing with him personally, make it that personal step. Spend time with him, love him, and I think there's things we can all do to grow personally. And a lot of that James is talking about here is loving the, the orphans and widows or the lowest of the lows. Who in your life can we share Jesus with as we grow personally? It's beyond a Sunday morning. It's beyond the organized meetings. It's a life that we get to live with Jesus. <clears throat> now, oh man, see, I just I went off on a tangent and skipped all my notes. Look at that. Lastly, guys, a pure and undefiled religion or relationship is a pure relationship. Now, the last part of the passage says this, to keep oneself unstained by the world. It's kind of a tall order, don't you think? To be unstained by the world. So let's just get this out there. How many sinners do we have in the room? All right, let's just get it out there. People not raising your hand, you're doing it right now. That's just, that's, yep. So we're all in the same boat. Got it. So, 
We're all sinners. But this, this passage says to keep oneself unstained by the world. So, so you think, well, how can I possibly do that? How can I, someone who has already sinned, someone who was born into sin, possibly have a relationship with Jesus that is pure and unstained? How does that even work? Well, I'll tell you how it works. It works because it's nothing you can do. It works because it's only something he can do. When you look at your life and you think that, oh man, I've messed up and I've done this, Ephesians 2.8 says this, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no man can boast. Understand that as, we're, as I'm talking today about actually, you know, we're talking about going and doing some things. Understand that that's not what saves you. Going and doing something for somebody is not what makes you pure for Christ. The only thing that makes us pure is the fact that God sent his son down for each and every one of us, and he shed his blood on that cross. And because of that, we can have a pure relationship with God the Father. Amen? He paid that price. Nothing you've done in the past, nothing you're going to do tomorrow can ever change the fact that he already paid the price for it. We get to receive that through his grace. There was a student that, another student I talked with at camp who I know that uh, they've been dealing with the weight of a decision that they had made. And it was, it was a hard one. But when I saw them, they, they'll, they'll come to me sometimes and say, I'm just feeling this or I'm feeling that. And I know that there's, they, they still feel a weight on their shoulders for what they had gone through and what, what had happened. And when I had this conversation, I was talking, I said, you know, you don't have to bear that weight. God can take that off your shoulders. And we had, again, that was in a nutshell, because it was a long conversation. But something that I thought was absolutely amazing was on the last night of camp, the students had the chance to write down something that they needed to get off their shoulders, something they were struggling with, something to give to God. And then as counselors, we were around praying for them. And some, I prayed for a lot of students, and this one... This student was one of them, came up to me, and I see he just collapsed in my arms. And for me, I, I was holding him, and all I could, I, I was sobbing. I'm supposed to be the one praying for kids, and I'm a wreck. He's a wreck. And all I can think of is, God has taken this weight off of you right now. This is the coolest thing. God is letting you know you don't have to deal with this weight. He took it. You are a pure Undefi- you are in a pure, undefiled relationship with the Father because Jesus took this weight off of you. Nothing you did or said did that. Jesus did it. And now you get to live under that grace, under that freedom to do amazing things. You get to practice it. You get to live it. You get to show other people how God has taken you. And one of the analogies we learned at camp was uh, Pastor Chris talked about how he said, you know, and when steel wants to get stronger, they heat it up and they temper it and they beat it. And this student in particular told me, he goes, I feel like I'm a totally melted rubber duck. He said, you know, we, we talk in memes in youth ministry. And he said, there's a meme of a, a rubber duck. It's like, hey, and then there's a totally melted one. He goes, I feel like that melted one. There's nothing left. And I said, you know what? Because of what Jesus did, don't ever think you're anything less than that strong piece of steel that will never be bent or broken by the world. When you have your faith in Christ, that rubber duck, get out of here. You are a strong, hardened, tempered piece of steel that God says, I'm going to do amazing things through you because of our relationship, our personal, practical, practicing relationship. You can change the world. And I see that in these students. It was a phenomenal thing. I could talk for hours on camp. I'm sorry. Now, 1 John 1.7 says this, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. I love that verse because that's the one that reaffirms me. This is not me. This is not my works. It's not my actions that go and save me. It's the fact that 
Jesus saves me, now I get to go do these things. I feel privileged that God would take this young teenager, young, when I got called to be a pastor, I was a teenager, but I was living in downtown ghetto Vallejo. And he would take me and say, you know what, Dustin, I'm going to use you in this way. And it's not because of anything I've done, it's because God gets to work through me and I get to live through him to walk out my personal walk with him. I live in his grace, his forgiveness, his mercy, and his empowerment to walk it out. <clears throat> when, uh, when I think of the students at camp, that's a question that goes through my mind um, all the time. And it's a question I think we can all ask ourselves is, okay, now what? Now what? And not a, not a guilty now what, like, oh man, God, now what do I do? But just like a genuine, all right, God, now what? What do I get to do now because I have you in my life? What do I get to do to serve you? What do I get the privilege of doing to show your love to people? And I think it can be something small and practical. Has anyone ever had someone do something so small for you, but for you it was the biggest thing in the world? I love that, right? Someone does something, or even you do something for someone. You're like, hey, I'm going to give this to you. I want to do this for you. And for you it's nothing, but for them, life-changing. Absolutely life-changing. My uh, grandpa, I did his memorial service a couple weeks ago. And um, he is a uh, Pastor Mel. He was the pastor here before Pastor Terry. He was at Creekside for a, a many, many years when I was just a, a little rug rat. But um, he passed away on Cinco de Mayo, and we had a massive celebration here at Creekside for him uh, because of the life that he lived. I mean, the man spent 70-plus years as a pastor. Loved the word. And when he, was, <clears throat> when he passed away, we came here, and we got to have the joy of knowing he was with God. But someone did something. There was a story that was shared at his service about someone doing something. that It all, it all ties in, I promise. So he was there, and they were telling—I didn't even know the story until the memorial service. But we were there, and a story was told about him not having any money for food. Married, four kids, no money. And so since they didn't have any money for food— they were like, okay, well, what do we do? He said, I have a quarter. I can go get a gallon of milk. I remember being blown away like, milk was a quarter? <laughs> wow. But that wasn't the key takeaway from the story. But he goes and he, he says, all right, tells my grandma at the time, go to the store, get the milk. We'll try and we'll do something. You know, we'll pray about it. Something will happen. We'll be able to feed the kids. She goes, gets the milk, comes home. When she gets back, there's a knock on the door. They open the door. A fan, some friends of theirs that live not that far away show up with all this food. And, and they're like, what are you doing here? And the other family said, we just really felt prompted to bring you guys food. They had no idea that they were down to their last quarter, that it was going to get a gallon of milk, and who knows when the next paycheck was finally going to come to get food. It was just them thinking, well, we, we made some food and brought it for you guys. One simple act of bringing a meal to another family was something that my dad and his, my aunts, and they, they remembered for the rest of their lives. God changing their lives through one small meal of bringing, one small act of someone bringing a meal. Never think that a practical thing God tells you to do is something too small that won't move mountains for his kingdom. We can do amazing things in a short, small, practical way as long as we're living it out with Jesus. Now, I know there's, there's a fine line here, and I, I hope you hear my heart behind this. I love Jesus. I, I, love, I know that Christianity is a religion, a religion and, but I know that I have a religion that is very real. It is a very personal relationship. It is an act of worship with God. And I hope that we understand when we leave here today, it's beyond a religion. It's not a set of rules. It's a thing that we 
get to serve God because he loves us so much. And James outlines, and we're going to keep going. There's so much more in James. And we're going to keep going each week in a different chapter of how James talks to us, real practical ways we can live our life in service and love with Jesus. Amen? Would you stand with me? There were uh, some questions that I I had that, that I was chewing on as I was as I was writing this or uh, reading through this and God was working through it, questions I asked myself after reading James chapter one. I sat there and I asked myself the the questions that we kind of went over. said, all right, my relationship with you, God, is my relationship a practicing relationship? Does it go beyond the walls of this building? God, is, is mine practical? Am I doing things that I know that I can do? I'm not just going through the motions. I'm actually going and I'm doing something. I'm not just reading and putting head knowledge. I'm actually letting it go to my heart and letting my hands and feet be your hands and feet. Is it practical? God, is this personal? Is this something that I know you're taking me in this direction and I'm going to feed the passion you've given me? May not be this person's passion, but I'm going to feed the passion you've given me. Is it a personal walk with you and is it pure? Do I rely on him above all else? I'm not relying on myself. I'm not saying, God, this is, my, this is my job. This is what I have to do. I'm saying, God, I get to do this because of you, because you've given me the ability to do this, because I am cleansed and pure and holy through you and for no other reason other than the blood of Jesus. Today, as we, uh, as we, as we close and leave and get ready to go home, let's always be sure to encourage one another in our walk with God. Um, like I said, the conversation I had with a student about my walk not being your walk, it was a really good, it was, it was great. Everyone here has a personal way that you can connect with, you can talk with, you can serve, you can love, you can share Jesus. Everybody here, youngest child to the most seasoned adult, we all have ways that we get to serve and love Jesus. Amen. Father, I thank you so much for today. I thank you for these people. And I thank you for your word. And that through James, God, we get to see just practical things that we can do. God, I pray that as we leave here, we find in our orbit, who are the widows and orphans? Who are the ones, God, that, that we say, hey, these are the people that I know I can serve. And what's a practical thing I can do? How can I make it personal? How can I apply it? How can I show them you, not me, you in everything we do? God, I pray you speak to everyone here. You challenge us, you encourage us, you build us up, God. And God, I thank you that we get the privilege of serving someone as amazing as you are. Thank you, God. We love you and all of God's children said, amen.